Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. It is great to have you in on this Black Friday. Anybody who's been out there uh, you know, shopping since this morning or doing some online shopping, which you know, I kind of went on a big rant at the end of Wednesday's show about how I don't see the point in going out and shopping when you the same deals are online. I don't know. Maybe it's just some people, you know, some people feel like they need to see in person, which listen, each their own. But we do have a great show for you guys today. Obviously, going to discuss all three Thanksgiving games, all three highly fascinating. Two of them going down to the wire. One, the middle one between Dallas and the New York Giants, which I'll talk about in just a second, was competitive up until about the four or five minute mark. I'll discuss that. Uh, also, my man Patrick Brown from the Chaotic Sports Podcast is going to be joining the show for the first time. Look forward to having him on to discuss all things NFL, uh, including yesterday's three Thanksgiving games, as well as the Zach Wilson benching and everything in between. So looking forward to have him on the show. You guys are going to really, really like this guy. Um I will say before I get into my first segment today, I am wearing, it's appropriate, my Aisha Curry Can Cook t-shirt. I figured it was appropriate considering the fact that it's the day after Thanksgiving. This is, of course, from the NBA Finals when Boston Celtics fans had the audacity to say that a a, a world-renowned chef and a New York Times bestselling uh, author of numerous cookbooks cannot, in fact, cook. Uh, and of course, Steph and, uh, Steph and Aisha's uh, PR team got to work and hey, we got a t-shirt and this, this t-shirt did in fact go to a good cause. So, hey, everybody's winning. Let's start with the team that is definitely winning right now. And that's the Dallas Cowboys. They beat the New York Giants yesterday by a final score of 28 to 20. Uh, it was a very strange game because you're talking about a Cowboys offense that dropped 40 on the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday afternoon in Minneapolis to... This first half against the New York Giants, they only score seven points and have a lot of self-inflicted wounds. But the Giants, in particular, Daniel Jones, turned back into Daniel Jones, albeit, you know, I'll give the Giants some of some break here. They were missing four offensive linemen. Okay, so Daniel Jones didn't have a whole lot of time to throw to begin with. But, and by the way, the receiving core is, is, is very, very shallow. But I thought about this for the Dallas Cowboys, and I'll talk about Dak a little later on, talk about the defense later on. Here's, here's what concerns me. Yeah, I said two things, and I always do this. I, well, I started doing it last 
uh, playoffs before last January going into the playoffs. I'm going to do it this coming January because I think it's very, very fascinating to see a team's biggest flaw, in particular a playoff team's biggest flaw, that will in all likelihood end their season in January or in one team's case, February. Like that one glaring flaw that eventually somebody is going to expose, right? And for the Cowboys, I said it's two major things. A is not being able to stop the run. Well, for for whatever reason, the Giants didn't seem to commit to the run whatsoever yesterday, which maybe that was because they had four offensive linemen down. That's the only thing I can figure. But you've got Saquon Barkley, who's averaging, what, 115 yards from scrimmage all season long coming into this game? Rely on him. He is your offense. And that's what's gotten in. Brian Dable's done a great job at the Giants this year, and I still do believe that they're a playoff team. But that's the that's what Brian Dable's gotten himself into trouble with over the last couple of weeks, last couple of games against Detroit and Dallas. Is I don't know if he has he feels like he has to either build Daniel Jones' confidence or you know put him in position to where the Giants organization could say, hey, that's our franchise quarterback. He's not. He's he he's fine. He is Daniel Jones to me is a low end starter, high end backup. He is the guy, if if put in the perfect situation, yeah, he can he can get you to the playoffs if everything is perfect. But if you ask him to go, go win a game, it's a disaster. And that's what happened with Daniel Jones yesterday and against the Lions on Sunday. So I don't know why the Giants, for whatever reason, didn't really seem to commit to the run all that much. I mean, Saquon Barkley had 11 carries. Come on. That's Saquon Barkley. That guy's possibly in line to be the offensive player of the year. And you give him 11 carries. Now, they threw him a few passes as well, but give that guy the football. So Dallas, for the last two games, has been bailed out by questionable coaching Sunday against Kevin O'Connell and then Thursday against Brian Dable in terms of neither committed to the run despite having elite running backs against a run defense that isn't very good. As a matter of fact, I think coming into this game, they were like 29th in run defense. That That's... Man, that is bad. That That's a major flaw that could get exposed for the Cowboys later on. And the second thing, which I really want to focus on, what could get the Cowboys beat down the road and what is the biggest reason, all in all, that I say this team is not going to go to the Super Bowl. They contender? Sure, they're a contender. But I don't think they're going to the Super Bowl. Heck, I'm, I have high doubts that they even get to the NFC Championship game, which, of course, as everybody knows, they haven't done since the dynasty years back in 1995. You look at that uh, stat sheet, look at that box score, you look down here, okay, let's see. You got yards per play, passing, rushing, red zone. Oh, there's that big glaring stat. Penalties. Dallas Cowboys, 13 penalties for 86 yards. Now, a lot of those were holding, illegal contact, a ton of false starts. Tyler Smith had a, listen, Tyler Smith has been really good this season. He's actually quite surprised me a little bit. But as I warned the Cowboys when they took him in the first round of this year's NFL draft, I said, it is a, this is a risky pick because the talent is obviously there. The upside is there. Guy has the talent to be a multi-time pro bowler as a left tackle in this league. However, as I beat this desk over and over, he was the most penalized player in college football last year. And he's reverting back to his old ways again. And I said, that's the worst combination of the world to bring the most penalized player in college football on a Mike McCarthy coach team. That that does not seem like a match made in football heaven, if you ask me. 
and he had a rough afternoon against Kayvon Thibodeau. I know everybody's making a big deal about he has one sack this year. Folks, if you're watching the Giants and you're watching their defense, Kayvon Thibodeau's getting to the quarterback. Uh, there's They're missing some holding calls. Either the quarterback's you know gotten the ball out of his hands quickly. I thought Kayvon Thibodeau, who I loved out of Oregon in the draft, played excellent yesterday. But it's those penalties that are going to cost Dallas down the road. You can't listen. You can commit 13 penalties against a lower end playoff team like the Giants. Like, let's say Washington sneaks into the playoffs. You can get away with that. You say Atlanta made some kind of crazy run and got in the playoffs. You can get away with that against Atlanta. You can't get away with that against the San Francisco 49ers or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or against the Philadelphia Eagles. Can't get away with it against those teams. And Mike McCarthy said after the game, you know, we're going to fix it. You know, we got to fix the penalties. Okay. I, I'm going to be paying very, very close attention over the next, let's see, they're 8-3, and three, so that's 11 games. So the last six games of the regular season leading into the playoffs, especially the last three games for Dallas, because these next three, they're trap games, but they should win them all. Colts led by Jeff Saturday, one win Texans, three win Jaguars. They should win all the three of those games. Should win, not saying they will win. Their last three, Philadelphia, which could be shape up to be one of the most important games of the NFL season. At Tennessee, whew, Mike Vrabel versus Mike McCarthy. Who do you trust? Derrick Henry versus that Cowboys rush defense. Who do you trust? And then they finish with Washington at Washington at the end of the year. Be very, paying very close attention because we you've got him on tape now. Got Mike McCarthy on tape. We are going to clean up the penalties. Let's see. Let's see. That's something that scares me a little bit for the Cowboys down the road. You guys know I'm obviously not a Cowboys fan. I'm a Dak fan as I am, of course, wearing his hat today after a, a really good performance, which I'll get to in a few minutes. But it's, it's something that I think the Cowboys need to focus on you know, moving forward. And again, I will say this, and I, I sort of talked about on Wednesday show when I predicted this game. I said Tony Pollard is the number one back. I don't know what more he needs to prove to show that he's the number one back. That said... That was one of the most impressive games that I've seen Zeke play in the last two, three years. We all know since he signed the contract, he's had some down games, down seasons. That is if you compare him to his first three years. I mean, his yards per carry up until this year has went down, down, down every single year since his rookie year. Some of it is he had a ton of carries, a lot of mileage going back to his days at Ohio State. Cowboys ran the ball with him a lot his first two, three years in the league. And now that they've become more uh, trusting of Dak now that they've added a few more weapons here and there. Now that Kellen Moore is the offensive coordinator and being a quarterback, he is pass happy at times, gets himself to trouble occasionally. You know, Zeke's, you know, production has gone downhill in some way. But I love the way Zeke played yesterday. He ran hard. He hit the holes as quick as you would want him to. I thought he did a really good job in pass blocking, which I've always, I've always said this about Zeke. He's one of the best running backs in football when it comes to pass blocking. Okay, he does not care to take punishment if it means protecting his quarterback, which respect because there's there's some running backs that are even Zeke's size that don't want that smoke with a big 300-pound defensive lineman or a linebacker coming full speed in a blitz. They don't want that smoke. Zeke does. Uh, and, and that's what makes him a great leader and a great talent for this Cowboys team. But shifting for a moment to... The guy who I'm, of course, a big supporter of. You know his name. You could say it with me if you so choose. Let's say it together, folks. Rain Dakota Prescott. Now, I know, listen, was his performance yesterday as good as the one against Minnesota? Well, no. It's hard to top a 93 QBR. It's hard to top a 139 passer rating. But I, I love, I love it. How Twitter, 
how Dak critics always pinpoint the bad plays and totally ignore the good plays. So Dak Prescott in the first half, and check my Twitter. I Listen, I'm a Dak fan, but I'm objective. Check my Twitter. I said Dak did not play well in the first half. You look at his numbers. 10 for 16, 116 yards, two interceptions. The second one was not on him. I heard Shannon Sharp describe it this morning. He broke down the play in vivid detail. The second one was a miscommunication between Dak and C.D. Lamb. Nevertheless, two interceptions, little over 100 yards, not the greatest completion percentage. But what do all the great players do? If they have, eh, first halves, they respond in the second half. That's what the great players do. That's what the great quarterbacks in the National Football League do. In the second half, Dak Prescott, 11 for 14. 11 for 14, which is a uh, a 79% completion percentage. That's, you know, that's that's pretty good. I think you'll take that. 145 yards and two touchdowns. Not to mention, he had a couple of throws. The first touchdown to Schultz was beautiful. Off his back foot, okay, it's third and 15. It's third and goal from the 15, I should say, and puts it only where his tight end can go up and get it. It's a great throw by Dak. Great job by Schultz. High pointing the football. Touchdown, Cowboys. And then later on in the game, Okay, where he fumbles a snap, gets rid of it quick, hits Ferguson, who, by the way, had a big game, had that crazy hurdle in the fourth quarter over the Giants' defensive back. He played very well yesterday. Okay, I'm not so sure Ferguson should be the guy over Schultz at this stage in time, but that's another discussion for another show. And then, to me, his best throw, off his back foot with Kayvon Thibodeau coming in and just crushes him in the backfield and delivers a perfect throw. To C.D. Lamb, you know, I, I, you hear a lot of talk about, um, <laughs> you know, there's. Remember the narrative? I heard a lot. I heard this from a lot of people. Some Cowboys fans, even that we're not saying Cooper Rush is better than Dak Prescott. We're not saying that, but he runs the offense better. He he's more efficient. He plays within the offense better than Dak Prescott. Does he now? Well, that's funny. With Cooper Rush, the Dallas Cowboys were 23rd in offense. Since Dak has returned, they're first in points. Okay, 23rd in points with Cooper Rush. Since Dak's returned, they're first in points. Total yards with Cooper Rush. They rank 27th in the NFL out of 32 teams. That's not very good. With Dak, third. Passing yards, they rank 27th with Cooper Rush. With Dak, sixth. And third down percentage with Cooper Rush, 29th with Dak. First, just let that sink in for a moment. That's now 10 straight wins for Dak Prescott against the New York Giants. He has yet to lose to them since Barack Obama was president. Just a little context for you there. They've also played five games since he's returned. They are plus 80 in point differential with Dak. And also, just want to throw this out there. I mentioned the first and points and first and third down Percentage, they're also first in points per drive. I don't know. Crazy me. I've always said this about Dak. If he's top 10 in wins since he came into the NFL, if he's top 10 in stats since he came into the NFL, and he's, for the second straight year, leading the best offense in football, he's probably a top 10 quarterback. I'm just crazy me. Maybe I read too much into numbers. Maybe I watch the games too closely. I don't know. Maybe I should just go off what some of these knuckleheads on Twitter say. Maybe that's what I should do from here on out. But I don't know. 
if you watch the games and you look at the box score, I'm just saying. I mean, what 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 blows me away, and I'll talk about the Bills and the Lions later on the show. I will. I'll get to that. But sort of a, a, a sneak peek of that, I didn't think Josh Allen played all that well yesterday against one of the worst defenses in football. Okay? Dak threw for more yards than Josh Allen. Same amount of touchdowns. Better QBR. Better passer rating. You tell me, against a 7-3 and three team, you wouldn't take 21 for 30, 261, two touchdowns, 71 QBR, 91 passer rating. Is that Dak's best performance? Absolutely not. One of the best performances of Dak's career happened just this past Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings. But when it really mattered, that's when, that's when franchise quarterbacks, that's when top 10 quarterbacks do what they're supposed to do. On time, on target, commanding the offense at a high level, taking hits in the pocket, pushing the ball down the field, converting on third down. I mean, you saw Brett Maher, which, by the way, uh, so sorry for Cowboys fans or for anybody who bet Cowboys minus 10. uh, And the Giants had that little backdoor cover with that last-second touchdown to make it 28-20. to But we saw Brett Maher miss that kick, which would have made it 31-13 to at that point in time. Who's to say if Dak doesn't convert that third down to CeeDee Lamb, who, by the way, I've been hard on CeeDee Lamb this season. He played exceptionally yesterday. But who's to say if Dad, Dak doesn't hit CeeDee Lamb on that third down on the first drive of the second half that Brett Maher misses the kick at stage 13-7, and who knows what happens. So props to Dak Prescott. If I had to give him a letter grade, I'd probably give him a B plus. B plus, A minus, considering the fact that he did play from behind. He did what people, for some weird reason, don't think he doesn't, you know, don't think he can do, and that's beat winning teams. Um, dominated New York in the second half, was accurate. Uh, again, strong leadership once again. And again, I have been brutal on CeeDee Lamb this season. I said he has yet to show me that he's a number one receiver in the NFL. This game, it's a good sign. It's a good sign for Cowboys fans. C.D. Lamb, six catches, 106 yards. Possibly could have been seven catches for 100 and whatever yards and a touchdown. Debatable whether or not that should have been called a touchdown or not in the back of the end zone. It's kind of a go-either-way play. Um, But doing his best Odell impression, which, by the way, the Cowboys are set to meet Odell, I think, on December 5th, if I'm not mistaken. But when you talk about the guys that needed to step up for the Cowboys, the stars, quote-unquote, they wear the star on their helmet, they stepped up. Dak stepped up. Zeke stepped up. C.D. Lamb stepped up. And as usual, breaking news, Micah Parsons stepped up. Two more sacks. I think they. I think I read this is the ninth time in his career, which, by the way, folks, he's in his second NFL season. It's the ninth time in his, in his career that he's had two or more sacks in a game, which is, I think, a third of the games he's played, he's had two or more sacks. That's unheard of. But you're talking about his speed, his size, his agility. He's everything you want in an outside linebacker and in a pass rusher. So Micah played well. But again, for the Dallas Cowboys, what concerns me moving forward is two things. They cannot stop the run. And the penalties are going to come back to bite them. Because when you play Kyle Shanahan and when you play you know, Tom Brady and the Philadelphia Eagles, you better be buttoned up. Or you're not beating them in a 60-minute postseason game, win or go home. Home or road. Because we've seen Dallas doesn't have that much of a home field advantage. 
As we saw last year against the 49ers in the playoffs, there were more Niners fans there than Cowboys fans. At least that's what it felt like. Like when the ref, when when uh, Dak went down and they didn't get that last, uh, that they didn't get that last snap off, okay? And the ref came out there and said, the game is over. And you heard like a, you heard the crowd go crazy. It's like, dang, are they in, are they in Santa Clara or Dallas? I, I can't, Santa Clara or Arlington, Texas. I couldn't tell. But certainly a good win for the Cowboys. They beat a 7-3 team. They're still very alive for the NFC East and frankly for the number one seed. And they took care of business. Uh, we do have a comment here. I was going to bring this up on the show, but I appreciate this. It says, the United States football team is surprising many people. Play better against Wales and against England. I see a bright future for American football and the MLS League. Yeah, I watched that match. Uh, when did it start? 2, 2 p.m. here Eastern, uh, where I'm on the East Coast of the United States. <laughs> Exciting draw. Okay, I listen. For, for, for a game that didn't have a single goal, no score, Highly exciting draw, so that means, which by the way, most people thought England would win the game. They did not. We got a draw, second straight, obviously, kind of an underachieving performance against Wales. But for United States men's national team, obviously talk about the World Cup for those that are wondering. It all is going to come down to Tuesday, and I think 2 Eastern, if I'm not mistaken, against Iran. Beat Iran, you get out of group play and you advance, which will be huge, obviously, for the United States. This World Cup has been crazy. You've had some... Just unbelievable upsets. Uh, there was a goal, I think, was it yesterday? I think it was, that was just, I think it was by a Brazilian player. I think it was by a Brazilian player. That was just fantastic. Uh, yeah, this World Cup has been highly, highly entertaining. And that's the thing about the U.S. team, too, is that they're, they've got the third youngest team uh, in in the entire Cup. So, and Pulisic's obviously been, obviously been fantastic, but... Bring these guys back four years from now, 2026. Continue to develop uh, the, the soccer organization over here. We got a chance to possibly compete with the big boys like the Frances of the world or the Brazils. Um, could be very, very fascinating moving forward to, to see what happens. But I, th- I think it's, I think it's interesting. I, I think when you look at Dallas in terms of where they stack up against the contenders in the NFC, that's that's to me what holds them back. They're better uh, top to bottom of their roster. I mean, you could argue it's kind of a push between them and Tampa because Tampa's got some ballers. I'm, 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 I still think Evans is one of the best receivers in the National Football League. Um, I still think guys like uh, uh, Devin White, although he didn't have a the, the greatest game a few games back, but he played phenomenally against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, he was he was fantastic. And then obviously, listen, when you got Tom Brady. Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. is one famously dubs him. You've always, you've always got a shot. I think we've all over the last 23 years learned better by this point in time, by 2022, don't bet against that guy. Uh, but it's, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be a very, very fun finish down the stretch last uh, six weeks, seven weeks. Let's see. We're in week 12. So six weeks of the season, we got some great games on Sunday, which I'll predict in just a second. Uh, hoping to get, Patrick Brown on the show pretty soon. Uh, I don't know if there's any uh, connection issues uh, or whatnot, but hoping to get uh, Patrick Brown, the host of the Chaotic Sports Podcast, uh, on the show. Let's see. But it, it's going to be interesting. You're, I think you're going to enjoy his takes. His podcast is, is excellent. Again, the Chaotic Sports Podcast. Go check it out. But before, while, while we wait for him to, to get on here, I did want to touch a little bit on that Bills-Lions game. I'll tell you, you know, Detroit gets a Thanksgiving game every year, but this one was this one was interesting. And I when I saw that line, Bills minus nine and a half, 
I said, if this game was on a Sunday, because I only do my upset of the week if I were a bet man, stuff like that. Bryce's bleak bet. Again, wait for that later in the show. I would, I, this would be my, by, uh, if I were a bet man game or my upset of the week, probably my, if I were a bet man, because Buffalo, you're giving Buffalo minus nine and a half against a Lions team that's won three straight. They finally found some momentum in their running game. I mean, it, it's it's unbelievable what what what's what's what they're you know being able to do here. But with Josh Allen, and, and listen, folks, he is one of the great talents in this league at the quarterback position. He's fantastic. But <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if he misses Brian Dable. Because last year, he had some bad games last year. Make no mistake about it. Look at the Jaguars game. Look at the Falcons game. He had some stinkers last year. But he makes up for it because he had two unbelievable performances against the Patriots. Obviously, who on earth could forget, forget that performance at Arrowhead Stadium, toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. And he had, he's had some amazing games this year. Against good teams, by the way, the Titans and the Chiefs. But it's those little things. Down in the red zone, you're protecting a lead. And you throw a pick. It's as if he was throwing it to Alex Anzalone. You're down inside the 10. Why are you taking that risk? If nothing else, get the three points. You're guaranteed three points. Tyler Bass is not going to miss that kick. Just, and it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little Brett Favre-ish. Now, Josh Allen is a smarter quarterback than I think Brett Favre is in terms of reading the defense, in terms of decision-making. But sometimes Josh Allen will make those throws where you're like, what the heck are you doing? I mean, at this stage in time, Josh Allen, who to me is the second best quarterback in football behind Mahomes, folks. He's second in picks. He's thrown 11 interceptions this year. Now, he's second in touchdowns. He's five behind Mahomes, which Mahomes is to me running away with the MVP right now. But, and by the way, he uh, he's third in QBR. Still, despite that eh, performance, he's third in QBR. But again, it's sort of what I was talking about with Dak Prescott that I appreciate with Josh Allen. What the great quarterbacks do in this in this league better than anybody is rebounding from bad or average games. When Detroit kicked that field goal, which thankfully Jim Nance, like he did earlier in the game, did not jinx him, thankfully. But when Detroit kicked the field goal, how much time was left? 23 seconds. Did any of us think that that game was going to overtime? It's kind of like what I said on Monday about the Chiefs-Chargers game when the Chargers scored with a, l- a little under two minutes left. I'm like, is there even a Charger fan out there? Much less the rest of us. But is there a Charger fan out there that's like, yeah, we're going to stop Mahomes? It's like, no, this is what Mahomes does. This is why he makes $45 million a year for stuff like this. And what does Mahomes do? Boop, 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 right down the field, touchdown to Travis Kelsey to win the game. Conversely, same, same here with, 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 with Josh Allen. <laughs> First pass, and it's what makes Josh Allen great. Fits it perfectly right over the middle on a freaking rope to Stephon Diggs for a gain of 36 yards to get into field goal range. But then it goes back to frustrating bills where, okay, they're in field goal range. Use a timeout. Got a little under 20 seconds left. You want to get closer. Hey, I'm all for getting closer because by that point, it'd be a 56-yarder. You want to make it easier on your kicker. But... This is what's going to get Buffalo beat in the playoffs. Their only run game is Josh Allen. And you see them running quarterback power right twice to get them closer. And Josh Allen is a great runner of the football. He's, he's big, he's physical, but he, you, you can't have your quarterback taking all these big hits. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And if they can't develop a running game with Devin Singletary and company, they're going to get beat by Kansas City down the road. They very well might get beat by Tennessee down the road. Because what will the Titans do should they match up? They will, you know, play ball control with Derrick Henry, milk the clock, tell, you know, put Ryan Tannehill in a position where he doesn't make big mistakes like he did in the playoff game last year against Cincinnati. By the way, the Titans play Cincinnati. Uh, that's a fascinating game for this weekend. Okay? And then Buffalo will be in a position to where they're losing the time of possession battle. This is how, my, you know, th- this is how they lost uh, against Kansas City at times. In 2020, Kansas City developed a running game. Uh, you know, obviously the big place of Tyreek and company down the field, this is when get, what's going to get Buffalo beat. Not being able, late in games, whether it's to bleed clock, whether it's to simply just get in field goal range or get closer, make the field goal easier for your kicker. How, how do they do that? They have to run Josh Allen. And he's taking these big hits out there. It reminds me a little bit of Cam Newton. Part of what got Cam, Cam was never as accurate as Josh Allen. That part of what got Cam in the end, he, he was just not an accurate thrower of the football. But part of what got him also, and we've seen it in, in the end, man, that guy took a lot of hits. And you say, well, he's 6'5, 250. Man, there's only so much hits a grown man could take. There's only so much hits anyone can take. And Josh Allen's not excluded from that. I get he's 6'5, 6'6, whatever he is, big, strong frame. But you've got to build a running game. And Buffalo's offensive line, in some ways, has struggled in that regard. So being able to run the football, being able to, with Josh Allen, uh, you know, put yourselves in position to succeed, put yourself in position to run the clock out, just simply get closer to field goal range. It's those little things that concern me with Buffalo uh, down the road. But a good win for them over Detroit. Again, I, I, ne- I listen, had this game been on a Sunday, I swear to you guys, this would have been my if I were a Batman game. Absolutely. Because... Lions at home, they played well at home. They score a lot of points. They're on a three-game winning streak, although there were some questionable decisions by Dan Campbell. So I, I can't play I can't play the kneecap biting bite. I can't do it today. I'll do it when the Lions win another game. Can't do it today. Sorry. Love you, Dan Campbell, though. All right, we've got a, a very special guest coming on the show uh, right now. Been looking forward to having this guy on for a while. He's a good friend of mine. I go so far as to call him like an older brother. Okay, so we just started this podcast a couple of months ago. It's called the Chaotic Sports Podcast. It's 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 one show a week. It's on the Grid Network, by the way. So he, he's, he's a teammate of mine on the Grid. Uh, his name is Patrick Brown, okay? He's the host of the Chaotic Sports Podcast. And basically what he does with his show, because as he would describe it to you, and he will describe it in just a second, there's a lot of chaos in the sports world. And what he does, better than anybody, is seeping through it and finding, I guess, some sort of conclusion through the chaos if you will. So, without further ado, would you please welcome Patrick Brown of the Chaotic Sports Podcast. Patrick, how you doing, my guy? Welcome to Carving It Up for the first time. As my audio good, you're in, Bryson? Yes, sir. I got you loud and clear, bro. I'm doing pretty good. Happy belated Thanksgiving as well. 
Yes, sir, to you as well, and of course to all the those uh, watching and listening. Now, before we get any sports, I sort of gave a little bit of a uh, a, a very short summarized version of uh, you know what your show is about and, and what it you know what it sort of details. Talk to the audience about your show again, the Chaotic Sports Podcast, which is on the grid with my show as well as other shows that mm-hmm. I brought up in the past. Uh, talk to the audience about the Chaotic Sports Podcast, what it's about. My my podcast is basically trying to find the bright spot in the midst of the chaos while adding a little bit of a pop culture flair to it, something different and unique that's not usually done on podcasts or any kind of uh, television show. I've um, The inspiration behind my podcast is from my niece and nephew. Hmm. They're, they're the biggest inspiration around it. And I've, I've always wanted to dive into the bigger picture and being the voice of reason. So that's where most of the chaos comes from is trying to find a bright spot, being positive about it and being a voice of reason without being uh, biased. I appreciate that. And listen, you, you keep it real on your show. You listen, some, some, you know, if there's been any sports controversies, you know, say like involving Antonio Brown or somebody like you're, you're, you're straight up. You, you keep it real with everybody. And I really appreciate about the, that about you. I would really like to hear your take uh, to start on yesterday's giants Cowboys game. Obviously you are a Cowboys fan uh, mm-hmm. lifelong, I assume. So oh, what yeah. was sort of your takeaway from, from the game? It was, I, I, I described it earlier in the show as a very weird game where you got a Cowboys offense that puts up 40 against Minnesota and then only scores a touchdown has a lot of miscues. And what scares me about Dallas down the road is 13 penalties. And that feels like it's going to rear its ugly head and come back to bite him down the road. But what was your, what was your takeaway uh, on the Cowboys 28, 20 victory over the New York giants on, on Thursday? It was looking like a colossal disappointment in the first half because I had a feeling going into this game that we were going to start slow as usual, penalties, and kind of overlooked the Giants as the, you know, inferior opponent, knowing that they were down defensive linemen left and right. It was just missed opportunities in the first half to really impose our will. And that game shouldn't have been that close in the first half. It should have not been that close, knowing the fact that we had just dropped 40 points on Minnesota on Sunday, and the only muster up, was it seven in the first half? Before yeah, it was 13-7 at the half. That crucial stop and the on the Giants' last possession for the half, that was crucial. Yeah. But then making the adjustments, Kellamore got the memo to run the football. Run the football. I can't I, I tweeted that out. You I cannot stress enough. Run the football. Do not put Dak in second and third and longs in order for him to keep us in the game because we all know what happens if he has to pass. And he was throwing it into very, very tight windows. That one where he threw in the three giants, I was like, that that throw shouldn't have happened, in all honesty. Right. But credit to this defense for showing up in the second half as well. Zeke looked phenomenal. You know, he, he looked phenomenal. And I know everybody's been hard on him the last three or so seasons. But the things that he brings to this team, you can't deny, you know, and especially in the pass blocking schemes, you can't. You can't yes. ignore that. We all love Tony Pollard, but Tony Pollard can't do what Zeke does in the passing game. He can get free and get between the, you know, between the tackle and the guard, but if you ask him to go out there in a passing situation, try to block and, and a linebacker or defensive tackle, he's just gonna get blown up in the backfield. Yeah, but yeah. The- I mean, listen, and, and the, I talked about Zeke. I, I you know, I I've been one of those who has been critical of him, and I said a few weeks ago. 
I think it was after the Green Bay game. I said, at this point, I don't know what more Tony Pollard needs to show you in terms of that he's my guy in terms of giving him more carries than Zeke. But mm-hmm. when you talk about Zeke being able, like you, you sort of mentioned about Pollard and Zeke showed this yesterday, being able to hit those holes quickly and, and with explosiveness. Um, and, and I did bring this up about Zeke earlier in the show, and he's certainly, as you mentioned, better than Pollard in this regard. He's one of the best running backs in football when it comes to pass blocking. Uh, he doesn't care to take on a 300-pound defensive uh, end mm-hmm. or to take a, a linebacker coming 100 miles an hour up the middle in order to protect Dak Prescott or Cooper Rush or whoever the quarterback is. And I've always appreciated that about Zeke. Um, let's see. We've got a uh, <laughs> we got a comment from our guy, Barry Grant Jr., All Even Podcast. He says, ah, Patrick, f- uh, finally a fellow Cowboys fan on What's the up, show. What's up, Barry? What's up, Barry? Our, our great uh, co-founder and chief. Hey, what's good, Barry? There you go. So I got the hat right here. Got the hat right here. Got got a rep. Got to rep the brand. But you know, I, I think it was fascinating too with the Giants, and I want to get your take on this because I think in some ways, and the Cowboys' defense this season has been absolutely phenomenal. We know what Micah Parsons represents, what he brings to the table. Trayvon Diggs, to me, has improved about as much as any player in football in terms of being a pure cover corner. The interceptions aren't close to what they were last year, but that's almost a good thing because there's a reason they kept throwing his way last year because I called him the gambler. He's Kenny Rogers. He's going to be a little bit, it's a little bit boomer bust. Right. Not the case this year. But the one glaring hole in the Cowboys' defense is they can't stop the run. And that's exactly. what Green Bay took advantage of. And for whatever reason, Minnesota didn't with Dalvin Cook, and the Giants gave Saquon Barkley 11 carries. Um, explain that to me. Do, do you think that this is something that still could rear its ugly head down the road for the Cowboys? Because they still got to play Derrick Henry in Week 17. Uh, we know Washington can, Washington can really run the football, so can the right. Eagles. Is this mm-hmm. something that is, should be a major concern for the Cowboys moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, this run defense, if – just looking at this, the remaining schedule, Bryson, the game that is really going to be the tall tale of this Cowboys defense is the Tennessee game, the last second to row game to end the season. This is a very glaring hole. The pass defense, I'm not, I'm semi worried about, but it all starts up front. If you can't stop the running back, you're going to put, you're going to get cooked because yeah. then that opens up the passing game, and then you put more pressure on the back end to try to be in the right place at the right time to make a play. And you notice that they're throwing the ball in Anthony Brown's direction and they're staying clear of Trayvon Diggs. Right. So for me, yes, the run defense is a glaring red flag for me. And if we don't get a clamp on this, you know, over the next you know six or seven weeks, that's going to rear its uh, ugly head along with the penalties. The penalties, yeah. penalties, penalties. I can't stress that enough. Undisciplined football is not going to beat the 49ers, Eagles, or the Vikings, neither the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're not going to beat those four teams if you're out there, positive yards going, going, getting a positive drive going, and then you got a false start, illegal formation, or hold. The same, the same mental mistakes is going to beat this team whenever we get to the playoffs. And you cannot it's it's all mental. Sixty five percent of football is mental, and if you're not a disciplined team, you're going to keep making those mistakes. And I did see where Mike McCarthy said we're going to clean that up. And you said that at the end of the postseason game last year, there after that first round exit, I haven't seen much of an adjustment. I really haven't, no. and because it, it's all mental. If you keep making these mental mistakes. It's going to cause us to, you know, be a one and done. But 
I give Dan Quinn the benefit of the doubt that they would get this run defense together. It's just a matter of going about it and being about it versus talking about it. So you trust, so you're bigger, the penalties are a bigger concern to you because you trust Dan Quinn to shore up that, uh, that aspect of the defense. If they can shore that up, Bryson, that would put us in a good spot, but they cannot just keep overblowing assignments when it yeah. matters. Because one thing we do know, Mike is going to show up. Yeah, absolutely. it's just the it's just the other guys that concern me up front. We know Demarcus Lawrence is not a sack artist, but he's good against the run. He is. It's just the middle of that defensive line that bothers me, because that is the tall tale of this run defense is the middle between the uh, defensive tackles with Gallimore, and now they added Jonathan Hankins, and they get Osa uh, Ogi. Uh, what's his name? Odigizua. Odigizua. Yeah, he's in the middle of that of that uh that defensive line, and that's to me that's the glaring hole because once they get past those those guys, you put the pressure on the linebackers or a corner or a safety to come up and try to tackle, and that's it's a mismatch right. made in hell right now. Absolutely. Last question before we move on because I'd like to get your thoughts on the Vikings Patriots game. Um, you of all people know how much I love Dak Prescott. I, I was a fan of this guy even back to his days at Mississippi State, even though, mm-hmm. weirdly enough, I'm a Tennessee fan. I don't know how that worked. But with, with Dak yesterday, I, I noticed that there seemed to be a lot of focus on his first half play, which even I, as the most ardent Dak supporter, said he did not play well in the first half. Uh, the right. two interceptions, it's a debate as to whether the second one was his fault. It was kind of a miscommunication between him and CD. The first one was absolutely his fault when he was trying to hit Gallup and what he, for some weird reason, thought was a, a free play. But then I talk about the second half, 80% completion, two touchdowns, pushing the ball down the field. I, I felt like you brought up the penalties, which there were a, I, I rewatched the game today, a crap ton of penalties in that first drive to start the second half. And it was often Dak getting, uh, getting them out on that third down to CeeDee Lamb and then that touchdown over the top to Schultz. What was sort of your your take on Dak's play yesterday? And what's, what's sort of your overall opinion of him in terms of whether or not he can take the Cowboys to the promised land? He's got to come out. They, it all starts with getting you're getting going early. Okay. You have to you have to come out and move the ball early. Run the football is the key point indicator, and to be a, in order for Dak to be successful. That way, you get him in the play action, and you can put him in a second and third and short versus the penalties of the holding, illegal formation, offensive interference, where the case may be. But to me, that it starts with you know the first, the opening possession of the game, Bryson. You he has to really don't try to get the yardage within the first play. Take sure. what the defense gives you. If you've got to dump it off on a short pass, then so be it. Don't go out there on the first play of from from the line of scrimmage and try to air it out 25, 30 yards to CD or Gallup. You you can't do that. And with the way that we've been playing with our tight ends. I think they're going to be the better security blanket moving forward. Sure. But I would love to see Kellen Moore get Kevontae Turpin involved in this offense. He's more than just, you know, the kickoff and punt returner. I mean, yeah. Tony Pollard, for example, Sunday with Tony Pollard, they was, he was effective in the run. And then the little short the pass out to the outside where he took it to the house. That's where you, that's where Tony Pollard could be using the passing game. It's not always going to be the run, but going in to start the game, you get Pollard going, you get Zeke going, and then you can get Dak going. You can feature CD and Gallup and the tight ends, but 
if you're coming out and you're the defense already knows according to the formation that they're going to go with the pass and the first down it's like oh all you got to do is send two guys at him and then our back end's going to you know be ready to pick it off but i think it just comes down to execution on Dak's part you know they you know eliminate these slow starts because you eliminate these slow starts this team is untouchable but you know as you know as i just said if Dak comes out there and pulls at his will early, you strike fear in the in the opposition. But if they're out there just playing cat and mouse, then you leave little to the imagination because it's just an, a, an accident waiting to happen with Dak, whether it's an interception or it's a costly fumble at the line of scrimmage like it was yesterday. But it's just luckily that he picked it back up and delivered it to, was it uh, Hendershot with her? Yeah, Ferguson with the hurdle. So – that was a play that could have ended really bad, but it ended up being really good. Yeah, and I think the thing, too, is Kellen Moore has had to adjust the offense ever since Dak has come back. He's, obviously, he's he's the you know better talent, better quarterback than Rush is. And it's about, it's about having a, a good sense of balance. That's what really hurt the Cowboys big time against Green Bay. Dak was okay. But when you got a you know a running game that's averaging five yards a carry, Green Bay can't stop the run. It's it's about being able to you know bleed the clock. And again, uh, of course, I will say in fairness, Kel Moore, Mike McCarthy, they were running the ball in overtime, but penalties killed them. <clears throat> Jalen Tolbert. But I think with with, with Dak, it's I, I mean I read the numbers off uh, you know earlier in the show. They were in the twenties mm-hmm. in terms of scoring and in terms of third down conversions and things of that nature with Cooper Rush. With Dak, they're in the top three in almost every statistical category. It's right. about striking that balance. It's about again, they obviously opening the playbook more. And now that this defense has kind of realized, like, hey, just because our starting quarterback's back doesn't mean we need to let our foot off the gas pedal. And you've seen sort of that shift ever since the Green Bay game uh, is going to be key right. moving forward. Now, the nightcap, which ended up being a fantastic football game, the New England Patriots and the uh, Minnesota Vikings. I will say this: a guy that I've been heavily critical of, Kirk Cousins. Um, aside from the one interception he threw in the second quarter, which, by the way, was a really bad pick. After that, right. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Getting the ball to Justin Jefferson out in space, uh, leading them down the field. What was sort of your takeaway on the Vikings, and and where do you see them amongst the contenders in the NFC with an eight and two? Or, I'm sorry, a nine and two record. One and done. Okay. Because Matt Jones threw for nearly 400 yards against that second against that defense. Yeah. You their pass defense is going to rear its ugly head, and Kirk Cousins is going to is going to fold. If you really look at Matt Jones outplayed Kirk Cousins. If if you look at the stats, yeah, stat stat wise, Kirk Cousins got outplayed by Matt Jones. But where New England lost the game at, uh, was it a kickoff return for a touchdown? If special I'm not mistaken, teams. yep. Special teams. This uh, New England special teams gave up 14 points. It, if it they had, if they had not run into the kicker, yep, they get off the field. They get off the field because they were going to have the ball back in pretty good field position. But you run into the kicker, that kept Minnesota's drive alive, and they cashed in on it. But the big concern for me, just you know, watch a replay of that game. That defense is not going to make it, and you're going to put Kirk Cousins in bad spots to try to go toe-to-toe with, say, they get the Giants in the first round or the the, you the, the, the Giants? I if, if push comes to shove, I mean, it's going to come down. That last wildcard spot in the NFC is going to come down between the Commanders, Giants, and I'm going to throw a, a wild card, another wild, a team out there that's starting to, I'm going to say the Falcons or the Seahawks. Those 
Sure. That what that last wildcard spot is going to be up for grabs. If Minnesota is the number two seed, I would not want to play neither of those hot teams coming in. But the Minnesota Vikings, we played them this past Sunday, and they did not look like an, an eight and one team. No, they didn't, no. because we all know going into that game when Dallas's backs are against the walls when they play their best football, and Minnesota was feeling themselves coming off the big win over Buffalo and whatnot. And we know what happens, you know, Minnesota in the first three minutes of the game, less than two minutes into the game, Micah strip sacks, uh, Kirk Cousins, and that's all she wrote. But the Vikings, I think their pass defense is ranked 31st. It is. It's like that's going to be down the road against these quarterbacks in the NFC, whether it be Brady, Dak, heck, I'd even go as far as say Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Geno Smith, the way he's playing. Uh, and, but you bring up a good point there. And, Again, they can get to the quarterback. Obviously, they got Zadarius Smith. But when you talk about some of the – I mean, they've got some very talented players in the secondary. Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson, who's still, uh, you know, individually, I think, playing pretty well this season at his advanced age and stage of his career. But right. I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, <laughs> Mac Jones had probably the best game of his career yesterday. On right. a short week, you know, you can say maybe some that's Belichick's game planning, being ready to go in an environment like Minnesota. But against mm-hmm. the Jets, obviously a great defense. A, in my opinion, a Super Bowl caliber defense. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mac Jones is awful, okay? Mac Jones has been awful most of the season. And, you know, like like you now, you, you talked about he outplayed Kirk Cousins. He did throw for more yards and have a uh, slightly better passer rating. Kirk beat him pretty handily in the QBR battle, 84 to 56. But when you're talking about, I mean, New England with a... I mean, they're already thin at wide receiver, and then Jacoby Myers goes down. So now it's yep. even worse. Um, and they they did lean on Ramondre Stevenson to a certain degree, but that is that is a concern for Minnesota moving forward. Let me check their schedule. They got the Jets. That could be an issue. Uh, then they finish with Detroit, Indianapolis, Giants, Packers, Bears. Mm-hmm. So most – heck, I go as far as to say all of those games they'll be favored in. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about, again, some of the, some of the quarterbacks in here, I mean, listen – uh, that is still Aaron Rodgers. It is, it's listen, he's got the thumb injury. It's still Aaron Rodgers. Um, right. and it gets Justin Fields. Will he be available for week 18? We'll see, but you know, he, he's got the ability to break a big play on you at any time in the game. But I just think that's the thing for Minnesota. I, I said before the season that they would win the NFC North, which that at this point, that's the foregone conclusion. Uh, and I thought that they would win a playoff game depending on the matchup. Should they right. draw the Giants? It'll be a matter about stopping Saquon Barkley. You do that, I think you win the game. Because I, as much as you and I don't trust Kirk Cousins, I trust him a heck of a lot more than I trust Daniel Jones. Um, and I mean, in terms of a decision maker, Danny Danny Dimes is some still call him. It has, has not been that dude. But I, I just think it's a, a fascinating matchup with with uh, Minnesota going down uh, down the stretch of the season. Bills Lions. Um, <laughs> that was an interesting game. That was a I mean, again that that was another one where. Again, Buffalo's favored minus nine and a half. I'm like, man, I don't know about that. Uh, that was a little high. Was, what's that? That was a little high. 
Absolutely. I mean, the way that Buffalo's been struggling a little bit offensively, Josh Allen in particular, Detroit had won three straight games. They found a running game. Jared Goff, St. Brown had it seemed to have a good connection. And that baby went all the way down to the wire. What was sort of your takeaway uh, on that that game in terms of the fourth quarter, but especially certainly the more relevant team, the Buffalo Bills, uh, and, and their chances in the AFC moving forward? Bryson, I'm going to be honest with you. Since that Kansas City Chiefs game that Buffalo won, they have not impressed me at all. Yeah. Because my I've talked about this on my show that they're too heavily reliant on Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. And we saw and we've seen this seem like every game when they get into the red zone, he throws an interception. Again, why aren't they running the football? That is a concern for me because if Josh Allen is going to lead this team to Arizona to the Super Bowl, he's going to have to eliminate the red zone turnovers. That right there is the same mistake he keeps making over and over. And it's not being fixed. You've got the three-headed monster in your backfield. Why aren't you utilizing it? That I mean, I understand that Stephon Dix is one of the best receivers of football, yeah. but when you get into the red zone, you got to run the football, Bryson. And it, it's not to cut you off. It's not necessarily the red zone that concerns me about their inability to run the football. It's you got a seven point lead, say, late in some of these games, like against right. um, a Cleveland or, or, or teams like that. And the fact that they, their only way to bleed out the clock is with their quarterback taking big hit after big hit. And again, it's yesterday against Detroit, like I talked about. It's you're in field goal range, you're trying to get closer. I'm all for that. But the only way for you right. to get any sort of yardage is for your quarterback to take some serious, serious punishment, not to mention they're obviously trying to strip the football, uh, give themselves a chance to get the ball back. Um, I'm with you. Th- this Bills offensive line to me has underachieved this year. Uh, I-, I can't necessarily put on Devlin Singletary because they're not really committing to the run as a whole. Right. And the biggest – and I was watching that re- the replay and all that. Their defense was playing soft. I mean, I it's like they was – like if you really look at that – Go, if you look at the team, the stats for both teams, third down efficiency was back and forth. Yeah, that's what kept Detroit in that game was third converting third downs. It's like, are y'all even going to apply pressure, or y'all just going to let Jared Goff stand back here and just dump it off to Armand St. Brown and or Swift or Williams? I mean, I'm sitting there watching the highlights. I'm thinking, what are y'all doing? This defense yeah. is not the same defense we saw the first part of the season when they was just getting after the quarterback. But the biggest blow, Bob Miller's knee injury. So we don't know what the extent of that is right now. So that that can be a concern as well as his knee. From what I had read earlier, it sounds like some structural damage, but he didn't tear his ACL. So it, it sounds like it be, can be manageable. But that too, their defense and Josh Allen's turnovers is, is like, that's good. They're not going to be able to beat Kansas City like that if they cross paths in the AFC Championship game. They're, they're not going to be able to do that. And yeah, I, I did read uh, Ian Rappaport reported that they're going to reevaluate Von Miller in seven to ten days. So it looks like they don't believe that this is going to be a season-ending injury, which is great. Uh, they they I think in order to win a Super Bowl, which is obviously their ultimate goal, they have to have Von Miller healthy because we know the the presence that he brings, you know, being able to get to the quarterback. But I'm yep. I'm with you. They they play they played this seemed like a lot of soft zone. Uh, that that's how Anzalone got his his interception down the red zone, uh, mm-hmm. and, and obviously some of it was bad decision making by Allen, but. Some of it, too, in, in defense of the Bills, 
This was Tredavious White's first game coming back from injury. He hadn't played in, I think, a year. So getting him reacclimated to just, heck, just to play in football out there uh, is going to be key. Bills down the stretch of the season. They got six games left. Uh, they got Patriots, Jets, Dolphins, Bears, Bengals, Patriots. So definitely some dicey ones in there. Cincinnati's going to be tough. We know how good Miami is. Uh, and listen, it is still Bill Belichick, and I wouldn't be shocked if they split those games. And not to mention, hey, the Jets are no pushover either uh, without a question. Right. Um, but it's, it's going to be interesting. We have a couple comments from my man, Grady Edwards. Mm -hmm. He says, people have crowned Buffalo too early. Sure, it's KC, them, and everyone else in the AFC. Buffalo isn't that much better than KC, and I'm taking KC to win the AFC this season, maybe the Super Bowl. Buffalo's overall roster is not much better than Kansas City. Um, I can't say I disagree, because when you look at how, and it's not just the, the talent of the players, because it goes deeper than that. How Andy Reid uses, and I know we're sort of like, you know, getting into a Chiefs topic at this point, but it's worth mentioning. Right. When you when you recognize and realize how he, how he uses some of these pieces, we know talented guys like Kelsey, and but that Pacheco, the running back that they've used, has been really good for him. Uh, right. Juju Smith Schuster has had like a like a uh, I don't know what the word is, just, just a a. Uh, a, a revamp of his career since his days in Pittsburgh with, with big Ben um, right. and Darius Tony. Now he's going to be out this week. Uh, I forgot who they play. Uh, I think they play the, uh, is it the saints? No, no, Kansas, saints no can't, the Rams, they play the Rams. They play the Rams this week, um, but he's going to be out. But the way that they use him in the running and the passing game, unlike the giants could, it, it's like the Kansas city has almost become like the Island of misfit toys. Basically, if, if you're an underused player, Go to Kansas City. Andy Reid's going to find you a way to get the football and make big plays. Uh, and that's, to me, what the big difference is, is Mahomes, to me, and I said this with all due respect to the GOAT, Tom Brady, there's no quarterback trailing by double digits. I'd rather have than Patrick Mahomes. He makes it routine at this point. Trail by 10, trail by 17, even at one point, he gets the Las Vegas Raiders. And then 30 minutes later, you look up, you're like, yep, Kansas City's up by four with five minutes to, to go in the game. Um, right. Who Who is your favorite right now in the AFC? Because I got Kansas City number one. And I'm not going to lie to you, bro. I got Baltimore number two. I trust Baltimore at this stage more than I trust Buffalo. Kansas City one, Tennessee two. I forgot about Tennessee. Baltimore three. And I put Buffalo at four. Wow. Okay. Because Buffalo, like I said, I their last three or four games, I have not been impressed with. The first part of the season, they were lighting everybody up. The best game of the season for them was at Kansas City. And since yeah. then, it's just been one possession game, two possession, and then you're they're in a in a cage match trying to get out of there by the skin of their teeth. Right. But it's I I think right now I I say Kansas City one, Tennessee two, Baltimore three, uh Buffalo four. I'm gonna say Cincinnati five and then six. Jets. I got the the, yep. the jet the the Jets in there, and then that seven seed. Can the Chargers get some consistency going to get themselves to keep themselves in this race? That's the thing with the Chargers that kind of drives me up the wall. The same the same stuff that they fired Anthony Lynn for. Thank you. Brandon Staley is situational football man. The oh. same stuff the the same stuff they fired Anthony Lynn over. Brandon Staley doesn't know what the heck he's doing in situational football when it's time to make decisions. And he looks like he's a, a fat cat dragging himself across the floor that can't hardly move. 
Yeah, and, and it looks like he's been overwhelmed late in these situations. Anthony Lynn, certainly there were some questionable calls made by Anthony Lynn over the years in terms of, as you mentioned, in the fourth quarter and in some cases overtime. But it's the it, it's just this weird sort of it's it's one that been one of the, the the weirdest things to watch in the NFL this season where Anthony Lynn has gone from last year, it's like he's playing Madden where he's going for it at every single fourth down to now he's he had a play against Kansas City against Patrick Mahomes. He got a fourth and inches at midfield and you punt it. Like it, it, you almost want if the narrative got to him in some way, shape, or form. And it's listen, but I am reading over the last few weeks that that's Sean Payton's number one preferred destination. And I don't I mean, listen, why wouldn't it be? You got Justin Herbert, you got that roster. Can you imagine what Sean Payton could do with that? I mean, he, he look at what he did to Drew Brees' career, and we thought that guy was done. Exactly. And I think that's going to be the, the, his destination is the Chargers because I agree. that roster ready. You just you make a few adjustments here and there. The Chargers are going to probably top the Chiefs. In all honesty, uh, I wouldn't go there quite if, yet. As long you need a coach that can go toe to toe with Andy Reid in that division, you yep, need that coach. Sean Payton is an offensive guru, just like you said. Just what he just what look at what he did with Drew Brees, and like oh. I said, we all thought Drew Brees was done. He goes to New Orleans and they turn that thing around in like three years and they're in the Super Bowl. Right. If the Chargers were to hire Sean Payton, sign me up. Sign me up because I, I think that we will have a Chiefs-Chargers AFC championship game, if truth be told, in the next couple of years. Sign me up if that's the case. Mahomes versus Herbert for an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Absolutely. Now, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, the, the Zach Wilson benching. Uh, I, I was a guy who was not a big Zach Wilson fan coming out of the draft. I said, yeah, anytime you have these court, these draft where it's four or five first round talents at the quarterback position, usually two of them, you know, su succeed at a high level. Think about 2018 where you had Allen and, and um, Lamar, you know, have, have exploded in the NFL. You usually have mm -hmm. one where it's like kind of a coin flip. You got to wait a little bit longer on him than most. And then you have two busts. Uh, right. My two busts coming out of that draft were Mac and and Zach Wilson. Zach, for a completely different reason, reason than Mac, really the opposite. Really, you know, certainly more talented than Mac Jones. Better arm, uh, I think, better playmaker outside of the pocket. But decision making is not only on but off the field. You talk about the press conference. To me, if it and it's it's it just goes to show you how fine a line it is between great quarterbacks and even franchise quarterbacks and guys that bounce from team to team. It's mm -hmm. simply if Zach Wilson takes accountability. If they ask him, hey, hey Zach, do you do you take any accountability or any uh, blame for you know the offensive performance? If he says yes and then goes on to say we got to execute better, just the, the cliche, just give a cliche answer. He's starting Sunday against the Chicago Bears, in my opinion. What's sort of your mm -hmm. thoughts on the whole situation? All right, I'm gonna use a little bit of a, an analogy here. You remember when you were a kid and your parents said, "Don't let me count to three because you knew what was coming. That's what the New York Jets did to uh, Zach Wilson. Okay, but it but it wasn't until his his own dad said, "You got to apologize." When he doesn't, when he didn't take accountability for his play on the field, damage was already done. We knew what was coming. It was just a matter if they were going to do it. Now that they've done it, they pretty much gave him a checklist of things he has to do before he can maybe just maybe get back on the field. But he has to go through all that in order to get back on the field. Now, I will say this. If Mike White gets on a roll, Zach Wilson's not getting that job back. If he get, they've got seven games left on their schedule. If they, I went, I went through it, 
if they can go four and three, that would put them at 10 and seven and possibly be a five or six seed in the AFC playoffs. Right. With their style of defense, all they need is consistent quarterback play. They've got Sauce Gardner's, you know, going to probably be the defensive rookie of the year, unanimous defensive Phenomenal. rookie of the year. Jermaine Johnson, Robert Sala has done everything to get this team prepared every week. And that defense, they, they feast off their defensive uh, side of the ball with their energy. But if you ain't got that quarterback play, you're not going anywhere. So I think that this was the the right move for the Jets to say, we're going to sit you down for a little, put you in a little timeout, and you're going to get a checklist of things you need to do before you can maybe get back on the field. But if Mike White can keep this thing afloat, Zach Wilson's not getting a job back. This almost feels like Heineke, Wentz, and Washington, where it's, you know, a lot exactly. of defensive, listen, defensive coaches are very different from offensive coaches in that they they have much shorter leashes for their quarterbacks. I mean, that's what you saw with Ron Rivera with the Commanders and now with Robert Sala. I almost mm -hmm. feel like after that press conference, and again, you had wide receivers. who Nobody looks a wide receiver to, to be the leader of the football team, but you had guys like uh, uh, Elijah Moore, I think it was, who is, t you know, talking about I mean, how many points we score, three, uh, three, or how many yards we have, and they said like 100 and whatever yards. He said, man, that's not good enough. We got to be better. When you got the wide receiver taking the blame and the quarterback won't, Zach Wilson lost the locker room, and I think I think Robert Sala would have lost the locker room had he not benched him. Uh, and like you mentioned, whenever you have these situations where a quarterback is benched or a, or the starting quarterback is hurt, like in the case of, of, of Washington with Kirk Cousins, it is always an indictment on the starter when the backup wins a couple games and it's like, oh gosh, we, we probably should go to Mike White. Let's say Mike White plays with the next two. We should go to him. It's like, you know, with uh, a few years ago when uh, Teddy Bridgewater stepped in for Drew Brees. Oh, Teddy yeah. Bridgewater played well. They won all mm -hmm. five games. There was never a doubt in the building. Like, when Drew comes back, he's going to be our guy. Same thing right. this season with the Cowboys and Dak. With the Jets, Zach Wilson hasn't done enough this season to where you're like, oh, he's absolutely the starter when he comes back, when he's you know, ready to take accountability. Uh, and, and it's sort of a double-edged sword. He's, he can't be a bad leader and and not perform in the field. It's kind of like what Russell Wilson done this season. Of course, uh, Grady has just got to drive the just drive it in even further. He says, Bryce, you're not sticking with Denver to win the Super Bowl. No, 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 Grady. I jumped off that train about, uh, about <laughs> a month and a half ago. Okay. I will never forgive myself for that. Never. Let's try, that's, baby. That, that's looking real good. You know, Whew. 12 weeks into the regular season, and, that the different Broncos are not even nowhere near where we expected them to be. Hey, and guess what? I picked them to face in the Super Bowl the, the Rams. Rams. They're yep. not <laughs> Two, three win teams at Thanksgiving. Dang it. I'll never forget myself. I'll never. Grace says, obviously, I'm a Patriots fan, so I'm biased, but I think Mac is a fine uh, quarterback. I don't think it's fair to call the man a bust. He is okay. Dude is a starting quarterback. No, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, and he also says the Pats will finish with a better record than the Jets. Jets are a clown mm. at quarterback. It's going to be fascinating. I mean, they both, mm. let's see, if, if, let's say the Jets lose. That'll, that would knock them to the same record, and the Patriots would have the tiebreaker because, you know, they, they swept the Jets this season. Again, I'm not saying Mac is necessarily a bust yet. But when you talk about how he finished last season, and up until Minnesota, he was awful mm -hmm. this year. And some of that, listen, I'll give Mac some of the benefit of the doubt. Some of that is the fact that he has a defensive coordinator as, as, as his offensive coordinator. He's got Matt Patricia. Some of it's the the you know the thin wide receiving core. It's a lot of factors. But again, I'm not moving off my position until proven otherwise, of course, uh, that Mac Jones is not the dude for the Patriots for well. the long haul. Last for, question for you. What's that? 
I said, Mac Jones, look at what, look at what Mac Jones had at Alabama compared to what he's got in New England. That that tells you everything you need to know. Listen, his he re- had, I'm not with the team, his receiving core was better in Alabama than exactly. I mean, you have Devontae, you had Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, Mitchie. I mean, it was wide receiver heaven. Yeah. That's a pro style offense, Alabama. You have what does Alabama do best? What does Nick Saban do best? He recruits toys to go with his quarterback to make yeah. his quarterback look good. But that's on New England for not surrounding Mac Jones with talent. That's sure, that's absolutely. on them. Because if you if you can't you can draft a quarterback, but you ain't getting no talent around him. I mean No, no, I mean, no, you're not. And that's and it's it's something that Belichick has kind of always struggled with, even back to his days with Brady. Now, last question for uh before I let you go. Who is if, if you had two today, today is November the twenty fifth of twenty twenty two, you Patrick Brown, who would you take out of the AFC, out of the NFC, who will meet on February twelfth? In Glendale, Arizona, at State Farm Stadium for Super Bowl Fifty—is this Fifty Eight? I guess Super Bowl Fifty Eight. Who, who meets in the Super Bowl? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 49ers Chiefs. Here we go. Rematch of Super Bowl 54. I love it. I rematch because, number one, I think the 49ers are better head to shoulders out of any team in the NFC. I agree. The Chiefs, we know what they're about. I would take, if they met in Arizona for the Super Bowl, I would take the 49ers. Okay. Only only because I think they would have that little bit of a revenge factor in them because yeah. they let that one get away. I'm staying 49ers and Chiefs in Arizona for the Super Bowl, and the 49ers will win. Okay. Well, what do you look like? Okay, then let me ask you this before we get out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh what does that do for Jimmy Garoppolo? Do they keep him? Do they is a one year deal? Is it a three year? Because they're not going to give him like five or six or something. What does that do? Because here's the thing for Jimmy Garoppolo: those two teams in New York could sure use, sure use him. They they would absolutely take Daniel jo- or uh, Jimmy G over Daniel Jones with the Giants, and hundred percent take him over Zach Wilson with the Jets. What what would that mean for Jimmy Garoppolo? There's going to be teams out there that's going to acquire for his services. You know, you I'm, but I'm saying, team. do you think the Niners would keep him? I think they would. I mean, they stuck with him this time around because what have we seen out of Trey Lance so right. far? We haven't, and how good is he? How you know how's his recovery going to be with that ankle? Sure, that that's kind of playing a role right now because if you trade him or he goes elsewhere and Trey Lance gets hurt again, then they're back in the same predicament. That's true. If Jimmy G can put together a Super Bowl run. I believe they keep him for another year as, a, as an insurance policy to Trey Lance because they know what they got with Jimmy G. Right. I still don't believe that they know what they got in Trey Lance if you haven't seen much of Trey. That's not saying he can't play, but what would happen, you have to think logical. And I think John Lynch and that front office is going to evaluate Jimmy at the end of the season. And if it ends with a Super Bowl win, more power to him. 
he he'll get to he'll be be on borrowed time for at least another year. But I would not be surprised if a team like the Giants or the Jets, uh, you know, acquire his services. I agree with you, Patrick Brown. He's the host of the Chaotic Sports Podcast. Tell everybody where to get your show and where to listen. Uh, the Chaotic Sports Podcast is available on the Grid Sports Podcast Network on all podcasting platforms. Uh, my show usually is one day. I usually record on between Saturday and Sunday, and it's uploaded by our co-founder, Barry, sometime during the day on Sunday. And before I get out of here, since I'm on the uh, live stream with you all, um, I have on my DAC hoodie that says, Ask for Help. I know there's a lot of mental illnesses that are going on in our country, and I want to say this. If you are feeling anxious, depressed, or suicidal, please seek help. Do not let society box you in and let and tell you that you don't need therapy as a recovering mental health patient myself please if anybody go go to go to therapy it's it's okay to not be okay and if anybody didn't tell you they love you today i love you i may not know you from adam but my heart goes out to those who are struggling with this as well as myself and let's let's just you know try to keep the dialogue going and end the stigma of mental health I second every single word that you just uttered. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of the reasons I am a Dak fan is because of his, his openness about mental health. And, and, and like you said, asking for help. And, you know, he, like he, I think he writes on his, um, his tape on his, his left wrist every game. So uh, yeah, God bless your brother for saying that. I appreciate you coming on the show. Got to have you back Bryson. on again sometime soon. Everybody there, go out, go check out the chaotic sports podcast on the grid, right? where you can find my show. Check out Patrick's show. Patrick, appreciate you having on the show, man. Love you, man. Love you too, bro. Take it easy. I'm, I'm going to watch the rest of your show, and you know I'm a big supporter. So anytime you need me to come on, just let me know. I, I got you, bro. I, I love doing this. I was a little anxious about coming on, but I thought, you know what? Let let's 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 have some fun. You know. Yeah. Hey, listen. That's what we're here for. That's that's, that's what I love doing. The show. Patrick Brown, Chaotic Sports Podcast. See you, brother. All right. See you, buddy. Patrick Brown of the Chaotic Sports Podcast. Always appreciate. Uh, having him on the show again, first time I've done some IG lives with him in the past. Again, very, very talented dudes knows his stuff as, as you guys can see there. Uh, and please go check out his show. It's, it's, it's very, very, very good. Um, but he brings up a lot of good points and you know, he, he, I wasn't necessarily going to hit on Minnesota's defense as much as I was Kirk cousins. Uh, talk about the Vikings game, but man, that defense is bad. The past defense, I should say, is bad. They've been able to stop the run at a, at a decent level, but and, and I know my guy Grady is, is defending Mac Jones, which I totally respect. Look, he's he's you know he's uh, he's a Patriots fan. I, I I get that, but Mac Jones looked like Tom Brady yesterday. If we're being honest, uh, he he played excellent. I can't say anything bad about Mac Jones today. But uh, Grady says Jimmy G is what the doctor ordered at QB for the Jets. Yep, mistake free. Plays within the offense. Now, if you got to rely on him to win you games, that's where you start getting a little bit of trouble. But next year, you get Brees Hall back. Hopefully, if you're Joe Douglas, who's done just a great job as a general manager, you continue to hit home runs in the draft next year. Just saying. Uh, and Grady says, Tom Brady is the quarterback my Patriots need. I want him back. You know, I've, there's been a lot of Tom Brady Patriots rumors this season. Uh, it's been a little under the radar, but it's been a story because of the fact that Tom clearly doesn't want to be in Tampa. I think there's a reason that him and Sean Payton were literally this close to going to Miami. And listen, I know the Patriots are trying to develop Mac Jones. 
And I mean, at that point, it'd be about does Tom want to go back to an environment where it's obviously a lot less loosey goosey than Tampa Bay is, but also in the same breath, does he want to have to deal with with Belichick? Because there's a respect between those two guys. I don't think Tom and Bill dislike each other. I don't. I don't. But I do think there was a lot a big a, a bit of a power struggle for not all two decades, but once Tom elevated into okay, that guy's probably the best quarterback in the league. He's winning MVPs. He's then became kind of like okay, who? And that's when the debate started. Who deserves more credit? Is it Brady or is it Belichick? And obviously, heck, it took one year for us to figure out the answer to that question. Uh, <laughs> Grady says we need to remind Buffalo who owns the AFC East one more time. You know, again in the Tom Brady era, and this is just crazy. But in the Tom Brady era, only twice since he took over at starting quarterback, only twice did they not win the AFC East. 02, they didn't make it. And 08, which Tom tore his ACL in 08. So you, you, if you don't want to count that year, be my guest because Tom played one game against the Kansas City Chiefs that year. And Grady says, and take on the world one more time. That would be, what a, can you imagine the story that would be? Man, Brady returns to New England, wins championship number eight. And then, like him and Belichick retire. I mean, that would be that would be legendary. That would be awesome. That I mean, that's literally like the Bulls getting Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson back in like 2000. Like that's that's what it would be. That would be so cool. And I wouldn't bet against him. I I, I know better than that. That would be so cool. All right, week 12 in the NFL. All right, the well, I think it's the first time since week three, if I'm not mistaken, that all 32 teams play this weekend. Obviously, we had the three games yesterday, so six teams are done for week 12. We've got, uh, what was it, uh, 12 games? Yeah, 12 games for Sunday, ready to go. So here we go. Let's let's, let's get the background music uh, playing. We got it? All right, there we go. The background music. Here we go, starting with a very, very interesting matchup. We just talked about Tom Brady. It's 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 fitting. Because he is going to Cleveland. Buccaneers, Browns in Cleveland. Tampa Bay is a three-and-a-half-point favorite uh, in, in, in Cleveland, Ohio. This is interesting. Leonard Fournette is, is reportedly doubtful to play. Uh, but, but what I'm looking at with this is Cleveland had success against Buffalo last week. As, as you guys know, that was actually my upset of the week last week Went with the, uh, with the Bills and the Browns. But you've got Cleveland at home. They run the ball well with Nick Chubb. Expect the Browns to get out to a little bit of a fast start in this game, especially with Tampa Bay coming off of a bye. However, I think ever since, and I truly believe this from the, from the bottom of my heart, I think ever since this happens with a lot of players, we just know it uh, to, be, to be true with, with Tom because obviously his, his uh, family situation was very, very public. I think ever since the sort of the door closed on that, Bruce Arians even alluded to it. Bruce Arians, who's now in the Buccaneers front office, he said, I'm now seeing Tom smile at practice. So the the burden of what everybody knows what, what a divorce can do to a person and to a family, that's not, I wouldn't say it's gone. I don't know where Tom is at mentally with that, but it's it's certainly, it's not, it, he's not in his, his, at least visibly not in as bad of a place now as he was then. So Tom's playing loose. They seem to actually find a decent formula with running the football against Seattle. And not necessarily with Leonard Fournette. Being able to get the ball to the playmakers, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones scored a long touchdown against Seattle a couple weeks back. So expect this to be kind of a close game throughout. But I think Tampa Bay pulls away in the end. I'm going to take the Buccaneers to win this game by a final score of 27-20 to 20 over the Cleveland Browns to get to 6-5, and five, get a winning record for the first time since Week 5, if I'm not mistaken. 
Buccaneers win this game in the Browns' final game before they get Deshaun Watson back next week, and certainly we will have a lot of reaction to that next week. Moving on to a playoff rematch. A playoff rematch, which, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, it is. You got the Cincinnati Bengals, and you got the Tennessee Titans, and this week's version of... What are I a betting man? If I were a betting man, I'm looking at Bengals, and I'm looking at the Titans, and in this game, Cincinnati is favored minus two and a half. Like it? I love it. I'm looking at the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Mixon is gone. He got hurt last week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Samaj P. Ryan played well, but we know what Joe Mixon represents. It looks like Jamar Chase is still gone. You're telling me if you're the Tennessee Titans. You've got Derrick Henry. You've got Ryan Tannehill, who played great against the Green Bay Packers. And Although a lot of quarterbacks have done that, but Ryan Tannehill especially played very well. He seems to have built a good rapport uh, with, with his wideouts in Tennessee. And you give Mike Vrabel 10 days to prepare against Joe Burrow? Oh, I'm jumping on this all day. If I were a bet man, give me the Tennessee Titans plus two and a half, and not just plus two and a half, to win the game outright over Cincinnati, 27 to 24. There's also the revenge factor of this, I think, that comes into play. Cincinnati beat Tennessee on a walk-off field goal. Tannehill threw the three interceptions. Derrick Henry, he'd come back from injury in that game. He didn't play that well. Uh, Mike Vrabel's had better days as a head coach. And so I, I think just the dynamic of the revenge factor, plus the fact that Tennessee is, has only lost one game since week two, and that was with Malik Willis against Kansas City, and that game went to overtime. I think, and, and, and Patrick really did a good job of detailing this, we are underrating Tennessee right now. What Mike Vrabel represents as a head coach, what Derrick Henry can, is, can still do uh, behind that offensive line, Tennessee, albeit beat up. Ryan Tannehill doesn't make mistakes. I'm going to take the Titans. If I were a bet man, take Tennessee and the two and a half points to, uh, to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. Moving on to the Houston Texans taking on the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins, big favorites in this one. Not a shock to anybody. Minus 14. And crazily enough, that's not the biggest line of this weekend. I'll get to that later on. Listen. Houston's playing bad football. And you guys know I like Davis Mills out of a draft. He just got benched for Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen, who's a career backup, obviously. We all remember a few years ago with Carolina, he had that little mini run where it was kind of Christian McCaffrey carrying Kyle Allen. But he made some good throws here and there. They won four straight games. But eventually, defensive coordinators quite quickly picked up on what Kyle Allen was doing. Because why? Because he's Kyle Allen. He's not Tom Brady. So you got Kyle Allen starting for the Texans against the Dolphins, who are just playing outstanding football. Uh, I have been one who's been critical in the past of Tua Tungavailoa. I still don't know what I'm going to expect from him once playoff season comes, but I can't hate. He's playing good football right now. He's been accurate. He's gotten the ball into his playmaker's hands, and they made it happen. Tyreek Hill especially, who's having a remarkable season this year with the Miami Dolphins. They're running the football well. They got Jeff Wilson for the 49ers, which I said was the most underrated deal at the deadline. He's done a great job. That Dolphins offensive line. What a jump from last year to this year. It, it's a mismatch. It, it is quite simply a mismatch. I don't see in any way, shape, or form how the Dolphins lose this game. I, I genuinely, I cannot see a scenario in which Miami loses unless Tua just plays the worst game of his career. Give me the Dolphins, beat the Texans, and, and cover the 14-point spread, 32-14, to 14, and keep the Texans at only a single win on the season. Hey, at least they don't have to worry about being the, the Detroit Lions of 2008 or the Cleveland Browns of 2017. No winless season for Houston. But uh, looking at their schedule, that might be the only one they get. Moving on, actually, let's see, we got a comment here. Oh, Grady. 
Vanderbilt or Tennessee, how are you feeling? Vols by 50. No, I'm just kidding. We're not winning by 50 points. Vols by 30, okay? We're going we're to come out pissed off after how your Gamecocks, Grady, embarrassed us and ended our college football playoff hopes and dreams. It's Vanderbilt, though. We'll come out and take care of business. Back to the NFL, though. Listen, I got to support my Vols. I got to support my Vols. You got a, a matchup that we didn't think would be that interesting coming in. Now we're looking at it like, man, we got to watch this game. The Chicago Bears taking on the New York Jets. Now, for the Bears, the big story is Justin Fields questionable with a shoulder injury to play this game in the Meadowlands. But all the press out of New York with the with the Jets, who, by the way, are favored by six. Zach Wilson, as we talked about with Patrick, we talked about all week, benched in favor of uh, Mike White. We know Mike White. Last year, he started that game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Played amazing. What was it? 400 yards, four touchdowns. Now he came back down to earth a little bit. Had some bad games here or there. I think he had he played against the Buffalo Bills. That was his last start, and he threw four picks. But this is a Bears defense that has struggled mightily in the second half of the season. Ever since they gave up Roquan Smith, ever since they gave up Robert Quinn, really the two stalwarts on their defense both gone, and it's been it's been a it, it's been a colossal disaster ever since. So when you have Mike White stepping in, they don't have a whole lot of film on him. This is a Jets team that's going to rely on their defense, put them in good field position. Robert Sala, the offense, offense coordinator for the Jets, they're going to put uh, Mike White in positions to succeed, not turn the ball over, not make mistakes. I think the Jets cover the spread. I think they win this game 26-16 to over at the Chicago Bears, get back to their winning ways, get back to a 7-4 and record and stay in the playoff hunt in the AFC. Heck, incredibly, stay in the division hunt in the AFC. So I got the uh, the Jets winning this game, twenty six to sixteen. Couple of comments here from Grady. <laughs> he says, "I can't believe Lovey Smith is still a coach in the NFL. I hope this doesn't come across controversial, but it seems like they've taken uh, black guys over the last couple of seasons. They know they'll be fine. Won't be uh, won't be shocked if Josh McCown this off uh, this offseason is there. That's a name that could come up within quite frequently the Texans if they hire Josh McCown as their head coach. With Josh McCown." And he was listen. You know, he was he was the ultimate. He's like Ryan Fitzpatrick, the ultimate journeyman quarterback. Played everywhere. Played, felt like he played with half the league. You know, I, I think the thing that's funny with the Texans is their history with hiring minority head coaches, and it's not been great. And then it feels as if they're trying to make up for it by hiring. Uh, I forgot David Culley. I think was the guy last year. Now Lovey Smith this year. It's like guys. See now at this point, you're trying to win Deshaun Watson over, which they tried to do last year. And it's like, dude, there's some really good black head coaching candidates out there. And it felt like you just hired this guy and put him in a position to fail. That's what bothers me the most about the Houston Texans, which they're a poorly run organization, so why are we shocked? But putting these guys in position to fail time and time again, uh, I hate it. I mean, there's still plenty of, I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Todd Bowles was out there. Listen, Todd Bowles, we've had our criticisms of him as the head coach of the Buccaneers. You take him any day of, of, of the week over Lovey Smith. I think you would take even the Buccaneers offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich, take him over Lovey Smith. So it, it's just, it's a matter of the fact that the Jets aren't, uh, simply put, the Jets don't get it. Let's, let's, let's leave it at that. They don't get it. Never have, never will. It's a bad organization. Moving on now to the Atlanta Falcons taking on the Washington Commanders in our nation's capital. Commanders on fire right now. They're favored at minus four over Atlanta, who still has this, their playoff hopes very much alive. But looking at Washington, Taylor Heineke has played really good football this season. Okay? 
You look at Antonio Gibson, who's ever since he's come in the NFL in 2020, I feel like he's been one of the most underrated running backs in the NFL. That offensive line has played great for Washington. Terry McLaurin, we know, is one of the best receivers in football. One of the most underrated players in football. That defense looks like possibly it's going to get Chase Young back. And to me, that's the difference. Getting to Marcus Mariota, he's prone to make bad decisions here and there as the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. To me, this is a little bit of a dicey game, but Atlanta lost Kyle Pitts for the season. Cordero Patterson's been dealing with injuries. I think Washington is the safe bet at home, favored by four. They win this game by a final score of 24 to 20 over the Washington. Oh, sorry, Washington wins 24 to 20 over the Atlanta Falcons. It is now time for Bryson's Bleak Bet. The one game every week that I have absolutely no confidence in, but I have to because, well, I just have to. It's, it's, it's NFL predictions. This one happens to be a Super Bowl rematch from years ago. And two teams sitting there with three wins. One of these teams is great. He just had to remind me in the comments. I picked to get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. That's, of course, the Denver Broncos. They're going to Carolina to take on the now Sam Darnold-led Panthers. So it was Baker, and then it was uh, P.J. Walker, and then it was back to Baker, and now it's Sam Darnold. It's a, it's a mess. It's a mess in, in Carolina with the Panthers. Nevertheless, they're favored by a point in this game. It's gone back and forth. Broncos favored by one. Panthers favored by one. Right now, it sticks at Panthers minus one. Of course, I have no confidence in this pick because both teams stink. Both team quarterback. Both teams quarterbacks stink. Okay, it's been a disaster. What I'm looking at, though, to me, what decides it is Carolina's defense has played decent this season. Okay, you look at last week, held a very good Baltimore offense to 13 points. They did hold the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady to a field goal. They've had their moments here and there. Now they've had some bad games, like against the Bengals and against the, the first game against the Falcons where they gave up 37. But I think they bring their A game Sunday afternoon, coupled with the fact that Denver is allergic to scoring 20 points or more. So I do not think they will score 20 points in this game. Carolina wins it in Bryson's bleak bet. Have no confidence in it. Betting on Sam Dartle, are you kidding me? But Panthers win this game. Oh, it says Panthers minus four there. Whoops, I'll have to change that. The Panthers, I think, win this game 25 to 15. I'll change that graphic later on when I upload it to social media. Moving on to the next game. And it is time for my upset of the week. Give me the Jacksonville Jaguars to beat the Baltimore Ravens. 22 to 17. Ravens are only three and a half point favorites. Here's why I'm picking this. First of all, I think Vegas is actually previewing something by saying Ravens minus three and a half. Because what they're looking at is, okay, Jacksonville and something very interesting for Jacksonville that I think it matters. And it matters when you've got a very young team, which the Jaguars have. Defensively, they have really struggled getting to the quarterback. And so when you sit back and you look at the Jaguars, what do they do over there by? Reportedly, they simplified the defense. It's young players. You simplified the defense, made it easier to understand. And now you're taking on a Ravens offense that isn't playing so hot. As I mentioned, when I picked Carolina to beat Denver, those uh those Baltimore Ravens didn't play too well offensively. They only scored 13 points against the Carolina Panthers on Sunday afternoon. Going to Florida, where the Jags, who, uh, you know, you guys know I really like Doug Peters as a head coach. Okay, I think he's, he's, he's an excellent head coach. Not great, but very good. Coming off of a bye, great coaches off a bye often win. 
don't know. It's one of those funny games. I said Jacksonville would win six games. As I repeat over and over when I make these predictions, they'd win six games, but the majority of their losses would be close. To this point, only one loss has been by double digits, and that was to Kansas City at Arrowhead by only 10. No less by 10 points to the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm going to take the Jacksonville Jaguars in my upset of the week to beat the Baltimore Ravens. A little bit of a trap game for Baltimore, but give me the Jags to beat the Ravens 22-17 to and at least keep their playoff hopes for the moment, for the moment, somewhat alive. Uh, let's see, we've got a, got a few comments here. Grady asks, uh, does Hackett get fired if they lose? My Panthers will win this game. They play hard for our interim coach. If we get five to six wins, he deserves the job. Uh, I agree. Does Hackett get fired? Honestly, Grady, I think they're just going to wait till the end of the season, to be totally honest with you. Uh, if they were disappointed in his performance to the point of firing him, they'd have fired him a month ago. He's been bad. Situationally, there's no creativity on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, again, some of that is not the creativity part, but just the execution is on Russell Wilson, but it's also on, on Nathaniel Hackett. Not putting Russ, not putting uh, his weapons in positions to succeed. Uh, Hackett will get fired after this season. Moving on to the afternoon slot. This is an interesting one. I almost had this as my bleak bet game. You've got the Los Angeles Chargers going to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. Now the Chargers, despite being 5-5, five and five, despite only having one more win, then the team that they're facing, the Cardinals. They're three-point favorites on the road. Here's why I like Arizona. A, looks like Kyler Murray's going to come back. B, DeAndre Hopkins is playing out of his mind right now. I don't know what that corner, was it Ward, I think was his name, for the 49ers calling DeAndre Hopkins steroid boy because he got suspended for six games due, due to PEDs. Uh, I don't know if he's been watching, but... uh. DeAndre's not just good because of steroids. Okay, let's not sound like a baseball analyst right now because DeAndre Hopkins has 45 catches in five games. He's balling out right now. Whether it's Kyler throwing the ball, whether it's Colt McCoy throwing in the ball, this week it appears, according to the injury report, it's going to be Kyler throwing in the football. So, Cardinals at home. Here's the last reason I'm, I'm leaning Arizona. And it's the theory I've always had on the show. This is the National Football League. Okay, these are all professionals. These are the best football players on earth. They are very prideful and have big egos. And they got humiliated, talking about the Cardinals, on national television by their division rival, the team they hate. They lost by four touchdowns in front of a national audience on ESPN in front of millions of people. I always call it, it's the, it's the embarrassment theory in the NFL. That is why I'm leaning with the Cardinals. That is why I'm taking them to beat the Chargers. 31-24. to They get Kyler back. Again, this is not a playoff team. Arizona's not in the playoffs. To me, they're done. Their season's over. But for pride, they beat the Chargers 31-24. to I'm sorry. You watch the Chargers. They're not playing good football right now. They're not playing. Again, uh, Brandon Staley's not coached well. Situationally, they've been atrocious. What's new? That's why I didn't pick the Chargers to make the playoffs this season. I still don't think they're going to get in. Cardinals win this game 31 to 24 over the Los Angeles Chargers. Moving on to the next game, you got the Las Vegas Raiders taking on the Seattle Seahawks, another AFC West versus NFC West matchup. Seattle is favored minus three and a half in this game. So you've got the Vegas Raiders coming off a highly emotional win. Obviously, you're coming off the week of Derek Carr getting emotional at the podium. A lot of questions about Josh McDaniels and his job security. There seems to be a disconnect off the field in the locker room between Carr and Devontae Adams. And what do they do? 
They come from behind on the road and win in overtime against their division rival, Denver Broncos. So got a second straight road game. This time against Russell's old team, the Seattle Seahawks, who themselves are coming off of a bye. And Pete Carroll coming off a bye in his career has been excellent. Okay, you look at his history ever since the days at USC and even Seattle. Pete Carroll is almost unbeatable coming off of a bye week. You've got Kenneth Walker, who's running the football as well as any back in football this side of Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey. You've got an offensive line that is head and shoulders compared to what it was a year ago. Tyler Lockett's playing great football. So is DK Metcalf. And listen, Geno Smith's coming off of a rough performance. Trust me, Shane Waldron, offensive coordinator for the Seahawks, they've made adjustments. So, I think Seattle, this is the type of game to me where it's a one-score game, but similar to Cowboys-Giants yesterday, it's not as close as the score might lead you to believe it was. Give me the Seattle Seahawks 27-19 to over the Las Vegas Raiders. They win this game 27-19 uh, and continue their chase, certainly for a playoff spot, if not for the NFC West, which somehow they still have a shot for despite how talented San Francisco is. Seattle wins 27-19 over the Las Vegas Raiders. Moving on to a game which, man, was this not one of the games back in February, I'm sorry, in May, that we circled on our schedule like, oh my gosh, we I have to be in front of my TV for this game. The Los Angeles Rams and the Kansas City Chiefs. Remember that game they played four years ago in the Coliseum? It's the greatest Monday night football game of all time. The Rams won that game 54-51 to over the Kansas City Chiefs. It was a crazy game. These two teams nearly matched up in the Super Bowl. Okay, Rams obviously took care of business, business against, the Niners, against the Niners. If the Chiefs don't blow an 18-point lead versus the Bengals, we get this as our Super Bowl. And now, it is this, of all the games in the NFL this season, 12 weeks in, it's this game that has the biggest point spread in the NFL this season. Kansas City is favored to beat the 3-7 and seven Rams, fifth minus 15 and a half. Now, nobody's shocked Kansas City's favored. Nobody's even shocked by this line at this stage in the season. But who would have imagined that this being America's game of the week on Fox, we assumed two Super Bowl contenders, all the reason we're, we're be tuning in this game is see What's Patrick Mahomes going to do this week that we've never seen before? Like, he's gotten into that, that like, Jordan almost. Like, Jordan, every night he did something. You're like, oh, my gosh, I've never seen a basketball player do that before. Same with Mahomes. He does things every week that, simply put, other quarterbacks just are not capable of doing. So they're in this game, favored by 15 against the Rams, minus 15 and a half. Listen, the Rams have injuries at quarterback. We're not even sure if Matt Stafford's going to play. Cooper Cup is probably done for the season. Aaron Donald hasn't played up to par. The offensive line's been bad. And I'm supposed to believe that he, they even have a chance of covering an arrowhead? I'm sorry, I can't do it. Kansas City big. Flip the score. 31-13 to 13 over the Los Angeles Rams. It's been a long season for the Rams. Trust me, it's going to be a long Sunday for the Rams. Chiefs win this game 31-13 to 13 over LA. Uh, moving on to the next one. Moving on to the next one, we got the New Orleans Saints taking on the San Francisco 49ers in the Bay Area. Niners, big favorites, minus nine and a half to beat the Saints. Obviously, Saints coming off of a big win last week. Uh, Andy Dalton was actually first in the NFL a week ago in passer rating. His passer rating was like 140-something. So Andy Dalton, his confidence is riding high. Enjoy it. Enjoy it while it's there, Mr. Red Rifle. Because J.J. Watt once put after a Monday night game in 2015, 
Andy Dalton's going to turn into the Red Rider BB gun against the San Francisco 49ers defense. Okay? We know about the pass rush. We know about the linebacking core led by Fred Warner. Obviously, offensive side of the ball, it's just playmakers galore. It's Christian McCaffrey and Devo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and, and George Kittle, all led by one of the best offensive masterminds in the sport. His name is Kyle Shanahan. Maybe you've heard of him. But this secondary has been sneaky good, okay? That kid that they got, Hufunga, the safety, he's everywhere. He's Whether it's making a tackle, whether it's picking off a pass, dude is all over the place. He's got great instincts. He plays the football well. Uh, he, you know, you're not going to break a tackle against this guy. Keep keep an eye on number 29 in scarlet and gold for the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday afternoon against the Saints. Listen, I think the running game is going to be too much for the Saints to handle with Christian McCaffrey, with uh, Elijah Mitchell. It's going to be a long day uh, for the Saints. Jimmy Garoppolo plays turnover-free football coming off of his best game of the year. I'm going to trust the guy whose best game of the year comes with a stacked roster over a guy who is playing for a 4 17. Niners win this game over the Saints 34-16. They win this one easily. San Francisco 34-16 over the New Orleans Saints. Now for the Sunday night game. Okay? you got the Green Bay Packers and you've got the Philadelphia Eagles. Green Bay in this game is a 6.5-point dog. I thought about taking the Green Bay in the points. I really did. Because it feels like a desperation situation for the Packers. They're 4-7, and seven, 10 days extra to prepare for Philadelphia. And then I remembered, Matt LaFleur is the head coach. And then that's where I switched to Philadelphia to cover. Here's why. Um, Eagles, obviously, with the least impressive win of the weekend, without a question, last week, against the Jeff Saturday-led Indianapolis Colts and against Matt Ryan, who is, I love Matt Ryan. Hang him up or be a backup. Hang him up or be a backup for Matt Ryan at this stage in your career, in his career, okay? But you're going to face Aaron Rodgers, who's had arguably the worst season of his career statistically uh, in terms of team success. The Packers, obviously, it's not been there. The defense has let you, let you down constantly. I mean, even the game where you're like, oh, Green Bay's defense stepped up. They still gave up 28 points against the Dallas Cowboys. They still gave up 27 against the Tennessee Titans, despite forcing a turnover off Ryan Tannehill. Green Bay against Philadelphia on the road is going to have to play nearly perfect to beat the Packers. And this is not a roster, and it's certainly not a coach that I expect to be perfect. Give me the Philadelphia Eagles to win this game easily over the Green Bay Packers, 28-15, to in what could be, just throw this out there, what could be Aaron Rodgers' final game as a Packers quarterback. I anticipate if they lose this, they'll fall to 4-8. They'll give the ball to Jordan Love. See what he's got. As I said, it's a win-win for the Packers. If Jordan Love plays well, great. We've got a quarterback for the next decade. If he doesn't, well, at least we get a high draft pick because he's not going to win us a whole lot of games if he's bad. Because Aaron Rodgers has been bad, and you're 4-7. and seven. If Jordan Love's bad, you might just end up with four wins to end the season. So you can move on, trade Aaron Rodgers, get assets, and try and rebuild this thing. It's going to be interesting. Got, uh, got Grady Edwards in the comments here. He says the Rams got fat and happy, man. This is uh, this is the worst defense of a Super Bowl uh, uh, of a Super Bowl uh, champion that I've ever seen. It, it's been bad. I mean, I understand five and five, but three and seven, they might be picking in the top five of the draft. That's crazy. Well, they would if they hadn't traded just about every first round pick they've had. That's the crappy part about it for the Rams. 
They stink. But at least the silver lining for teams that are bad, well, at least we'll have a top 10, top 5 pick in the draft. No, no, you're not. Now you gave all your picks to the Jags, to the Lions. So, if, you know, for Detroit, if I'm not mistaken, they've got the Rams' first-round pick next year. So Detroit could get two top 15 picks. So see if they can take advantage of that. Grady Edwards says, Aaron Donald and Sean McVay were talking about wanting to retire this offseason. This team should have broken up after the Super Bowl. Yeah, it seems like, well, for Aaron Donald, I think the retirement thing was more about getting that contract. He put almost, Aaron Donald almost pulled in, kind of pulled in Aaron Rodgers. Talking about retirement so often, just so he can get the big deal. Sean McVay, on the other hand, is really interesting. It's like, you're not even 40. You've had all the success five years into your career. You've been to a Super Bowl, and then you win a Super Bowl a few years later. Why now? Because the reports are that once the Rams kind of nucleus, Donald, Ramsey, who, by the way, Ramsey has been horrible this season. It's like every time I turn my head, he's getting beat deep. It's unbelievable. But once the Rams nucleus retires, Donald, Ramsey, Stafford, Cup, once they're done, he's done. I have a hard time believing that. Maybe he retires. I know he's he's got a wife. I'm not sure if she's pregnant or not. I'm not sure if I'm sure they have plans to raise a family. You know, focus on that. But who's to say 10, 15 years down the road, he doesn't get that coaching itch again? I mean, listen, Sean McVay is a very energetic guy. I don't know. He doesn't seem like the dude to just, especially at his age, just chill and play golf all the time. That that's just my interpretation of him from afar. I'm I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Hey, listen. We'll see what happens with, with the Rams. They're not going to be a playoff team, obviously, in the NFC this year. That's That's been a foregone conclusion for a couple weeks now. But, man, I did not expect. Listen, if you had told me of my two Super Bowl picks, who'd have a better chance to have a bad season, I'd say Denver because there's a lot of question marks with Denver. But the defending champs, oftentimes when we talk about a Super Bowl hangover, it's with the team that lost the Super Bowl. Just look historically. The team that loses the Super Bowl always has a disappointing year the next year. That's never usually the, the case with the champs. It is this year? I think that I think three and seven. I think they said it was the worst record through ten games, tied for the worst record for a Super Bowl champion in ten games in NFL history. Rams have been hot garbage on the Fourth of July, as I would say. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. I appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch carving it up live on Monday at six p.m. Eastern, three p.m. Pacific time. Facebook Live, YouTube, Twitter. The show is not going to be live. It's going to air at 6. The show's not going to be live on Monday or on Thursday. But after that point, don't worry. We'll be live all of Christmas break, okay? I got one more week of my first semester of college. Looking forward to finishing that up. And then it'll be nothing but live shows on from there. So looking forward to getting to that. Uh, but also be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. That's all it takes you. Two seconds. Hit that big red subscribe button to subscribe to Carving Up. Hit, hit the notification bell. Okay, be notified whenever we upload a new uh, clip from the show or uh, or one of those YouTube shorts that everybody seems to enjoy these days or when we go live three times a week, Monday, Thursday, Friday. Be sure to also catch Carving It Up live on the Grid Network. Also, check out the Chaotic Sports Podcast. A big tip of the cap to, uh, to, to Patrick Brown, the host of the Chaotic Sports Podcast. Check his show out. Chaotic Sports, uh, the Chaotic Sports Podcast. Check my show out, Carving It Up. Also check out the All Even Podcast, Rocket Fuel, 
Clutch Sports Talk and the Cowboys Cam Fan Podcast. Uh, all, check all those shows out on the Grid Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to the Grid Network on YouTube. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. Spend some time with family. Enjoy those Thanksgiving leftovers, man. As good as Thanksgiving dinner is, Thanksgiving leftovers hit different. Those turkey sandwiches, mm. Mm -mm -mm. that sounds good. Have a great weekend, everybody. Again, once again, a late happy Thanksgiving. God bless you all. Peace out. And let's go Vols tomorrow. Beat Vandy. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.